from WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Hey, thanks for tuning in. After a lovely winter break, I am excited to be back here again with a second season of Close to Home. In our first year making this program, we put out 32 episodes where we explored issues and ideas ranging from dairy farm subsidies to the opioid crisis to winter road maintenance to where our energy comes from to mental health and public libraries and so much more. So we're back now in 2022 with lots more topics to explore and problems to tackle here in our Catskills home. And we're starting off the year with a foray into our arts community. I realized recently that we haven't really talked much about the arts on this show, but art in one form or another is such a big part of all of our lives, whether we realize it or not. And the Catskills and Upper Delaware River Valley have a long history of being a haven for artists of every sort, from composers to painters to sculptors to filmmakers to comedians, among others. So today, I am excited to share with you conversations about the state of the arts in our region with Robin Almquist, the Interim Director of the Catskill Arts Society, or CAS, and Arielle Schonberg, the Executive Director of the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, or DVAA. When I sat down with Ariel, I started by asking him about DVAA's mission and the story behind the organization. We are a 45-year-old multi-arts presenting organization and we serve as the uh, statewide community re-grant partner for the New York State Council on the Arts, uh, which means that we help distribute funds to uh, community arts projects and artists uh, throughout Sullivan County. Uh, As a multi-arts organization, uh, we're the folks that bring you Riverfest, the the Big Eddie Film Festival. We present exhibitions year-round and have uh, a beloved performing arts program uh, that takes place both in the Tustin Theater and uh, in our building, the Elaine Jaguer Arts Center uh, within Gloria Krauss Recital Hall. Now you are only the second executive director of DVAA after Elaine, is that correct? That is true. But DVAA has been around for, I think you said 45 years. All of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about the history of DVAA. Uh, It is really amazing. And I think uh, it's a a history that starts um, really from within the community. And that that has spoken and, uh, so to say, been a rudder uh, for us that um, has stayed true all these decades. So uh, Elaine Jaguer, along with her late husband, uh, Tom DiGiovanetti, basically had come to the area because uh, Tom's uh, family had ties to the area and he was excited about eel farming. 
But their secret identities, if you will, were that Elaine was a dancer and Tom was the um, technical director for Lincoln Center. So uh, they were bringing great passion for the arts, particularly performance. And right around the time that they were here, uh, it just happened to be the bicentennial of America's founding. And uh, through funding provided by the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, they put on a production of Our Town. And as I like to think of it, it's a party that hasn't stopped since. Uh, that led to group exhibitions, uh, programming, the acquisition of the Arlington Hotel, uh, which is uh, now known as the Elaine Jaguer Art Center, uh, and the outgrowth of programs, fiscal sponsorships, the support of emerging organizations, um, community arts events, uh, really just uh, an amazing, illustrious his history of arts programming, all intended um, with the purpose of really strengthening community and elevating uh, voices. Do you have any insight into the history of arts in our community more broadly? It feels like kind of a special area for the arts in that, you know, we had the Borschfeld hotels and all these performers coming up for so long. Um, but I'm not familiar with the story of our arts beyond that performance art side of things. Prior to joining DVAA, I was in Ulster County. Personally, what drew me as uh, somebody who grew up in uh, the North Jersey area was the, the history, the Catskill region as a whole um, had with the arts that can be dated back to some degree to the early 1900s in the Birdcliff Art Colony in Woodstock. Uh, it can also be tied to the fact that uh, New York City, um, as a major metropolitan area uh, and a home to artists, saw a great exodus every summer by the creative class. Uh, two areas that were nearby, but cooler, and a lot of great cultural activity took place in the mountains, you know, between June, July, and August, uh, often returning to the city to be seen and, and shown. But the making took place up here. I also think that going back historically, if you wanted music, you had to play an instrument. <laughs> You know, uh, artistic practice, creative practice was an integral part of everybody's day to day. Um, you know, it's somewhat been isolated, you know, such that fiber arts, which people just did, quilting, embroidery, and so many of these things were just part of the natural daily life. And, and now it, they've been elevated uh, in a way that... Um, they're more scarce, um, but perhaps more greatly appreciated. But I think that those traditions just date back to part of daily life. So uh, you wanted to be entertained, you told a story. <laughs> you know, or you listened to somebody tell a story. Now we put them on a stage, but before it was just somebody's front porch. Do you ever get the question from anyone, why do the arts matter and why should we support the arts? And, and how do you respond to something like that? Does breathing matter? Does speaking matter? <laughs> um, I am biased. 
I, from a very early age, understood the vital role that artists play in, in our communities and that the arts uh, do for us on a personal level, whether we're making them or whether we're engaging them as, as an audience member. I can personally say the arts make my world bigger. They make my understanding of the world bigger. There's things I've gone and Googled and researched and become passionate about because I learned it through the arts. Sometimes it's just a name. Like, who, who are they referencing? And why should I know that? And suddenly you've gone down an amazing rabbit hole of an author and you're 10 books in, you know, on that author's body of work. And you're, you're more enriched and joyful and, and knowledgeable for it. So uh, the arts matter if we don't want to shrivel up and die. That's why I said, you know, does breathing matter? I think the, the, the arts are an oxygen for our mind and our hearts. Yeah, that's a really nice way of describing it. Do you feel like the content of art and the way we express ourselves and, and what we're expressing has changed in the last couple of years, particularly during these you know last few really difficult years with the pandemic? Has, has art gotten darker, as it were? Not so much the pandemic, um, but the growing recognition of social injustice and inequity, which the pandemic has, has certainly made visible. Sure. Um, but uh, the, the um, assaults and murders that took place, particularly within the African-American community in 2020, with the pandemic as a backdrop, and the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement has given greater agency to uh, the ar artists to use their voice um, as a voice of change um, in a way that I think uh, has invigorated artistic practice and given uh, it a greater calling and purpose than, you know, satisfying the marketplace. Has that taken shape in the physical space of DVAA? So our, our exhibitions uh, get planned uh, a year out. So, you know, as a small team, uh, right now we are in the process of calling applications for what the, will be in the gallery in 2023. So the lessons that we've learned and the things that we want to make space for, carve out space for, uh, those are things we're definitely looking for moving forward. And I don't mean to take away from any of the voices that we've shown to date, because I think that they are um, e each in their own way, opening windows up to worlds and dialogues and conversations that um, we wouldn't otherwise have. And you need all of those conversations. We need, we need to laugh. We need to cry. We need, we need to moan. Sometimes we need to be silent. And I think that uh, the art we're seeing in our submissions reflects that those shifts. Have there been times when you have felt like, you know, 
this exhibition that we have right now is great, but I wish that we were able to pick up and, and move quickly to demonstrate or reflect, I should say, what's happening right now. I, I think for organizations like DBAA, like many organizations, um, there are things you can do that are on um, the immediate level, and there are things that you can do on um, the institutional level and the long-term level. And uh, I think for us, it was important to certainly uh, align and acknowledge and uh, give our our support to those voices, but that the real work was to come from the inside out. Um, sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> that question's a lot. That's okay. Uh, I think one of the fascinating things that took place was the way um, events in the real world um, changed how we saw the things that were in our gallery. So, for example, we had a exhibition of amber types and other antiquarian processed photographic works by Caitlin Danielson, and the exhibition was called Breath. And the main process through which she produced her work was um, photosensitizing glass plates and breathing on them and then developing the plates. And the moisture molecules in um, her breath etched themselves into the emulsion. And that was, that was the visceral image that was processed. You know, so often always abstract, but uh, nonetheless a recording in the truest photographic sense of, of what was before it. Um, seeing that exhibition, standing in that exhibition, which was curated a year, if not more, before its presence, while wearing masks, being more conscious of our breath and our Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. And simultaneously um, tied uh, to the um, haunting words of people like George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. Yeah. That to me is, is one of the really beautiful things, the way that the world outside can change how we see a work of art and how because of what's going on in the world, a work of art can lead us to uh, thinking about something. This can be a visual art, this could be a theatrical performance, this could be a musical piece. Uh, but it finds new meaning and, and new context because of the world around us. Has the pandemic impacted the type of programming and the way that DVAA does programming? I think it has really exercised uh, our creativity muscles. Uh, I think in, at the onset of the pandemic, we all called it pivoting, right? I really came to thinking of it as we're, we're learning to be creative in a whole new way. You know, so whereas... Prior to the pandemic, it was, so what do we put in the theater? What's going in the gallery? Yeah. It became, how, how do we get people to engage with a, and see live music or a performance? How do we get people to see art and engage with art? And certainly, uh, electronic platforms, streaming events, all of that allowed for it. 
But suddenly our, our, the balcony on our building became a safe place for people to hear uh, music from or listen to a performer. The back lot of our building, which in all our years of being at 37 Main Street, was never used as a performance space, has now hosted a theatrical performance, a dance performance, a musical performances, or the use of our building as a um, experiential haunted house, as we did in October 2020, <laughs> uh, working with an amazing uh, company of dancers uh, who are members of the FET. So it has really expanded as programmers and as collaborators. It stripped us of the restraints of the familiar and brought us into really an exciting landscape and a mindset of, you know, not what do we have to do, but what could we do? Do you think those changes, whether it's actual physical changes to programming or mindset changes, kind of how you're talking about here, are things that will persist years beyond the pandemic? I absolutely do. I think as we have conversations about programming, uh, just an example of where I think it filtered was, you know, we suddenly went from having gallery, a theater, um, you know, a recital hall, to we had Zoom, right? We had Zoom and we had what we, for us, we were using Facebook Live. So suddenly all the roads of all our programs, our performing arts, our visual arts, all had to go through the same tunnel. And that took coordinating and programming, making sure each uh, arena, if you will, had, had its chance. And I think to show, say a year later, we went into planning the 10th anniversary of the Big Eddie Film Festival with, okay, how can we bring the other arts into this? How can the literary arts be part of this celebration? How can live performance and the musical arts be part of this? So one of the highlights of this year's film festival uh, was a partnership and a collaboration we did with the Sullivan County Chamber Orchestra, who performed classical works from major motion pictures. And just that time working amidst 2020 and um, having this one pipeline that the performing arts had to be cognizant of what was being done in the cinematic arts and the visual arts led to uh, an interest in, well, let's, let's cross-pollinate more. I, I think that that's something that people will see continuously uh, in DBA's programming um, moving forward. If you were suddenly made overlord of art policy and, and funding for the state or the whole country or the whole world, or you know, pick an entity, what would uh, day one look like for you if you had unlimited funding to support arts and artists? So it, it's something being experimented with literally as we speak by, I believe, the um, Carnegie Mellon Foundation is what would it mean to artists to be given a, a stipend or a living wage and to be you know, freed up to explore their practice and free them of the 
constraints of either satisfying a market or, you know, managing however many multitude of side gigs and hustles. So I, I would love to give everybody the means to actualize their full potential and um, see what can come of that, particularly those in situations where the hardships of life preclude them from even considering that path. There's, there's a lot of important voices that we're not hearing. After speaking with Ariel, I have been thinking about his response when I asked him why the arts matter, that they are like oxygen for our minds and our hearts. And this got me thinking about how the arts are the lifeblood of our communities in a very real sense, because we as humans are drawn to places where the arts are thriving from day one that there was um, a pretty significant arts community here just because there were two art galleries on a main street where most of the buildings were in foreclosure at the time. That's Robin Almquist, the interim director of the Catskill Arts Society. When she came up to Livingston Manor almost 15 years ago, there wasn't much business in town, but there was a dedicated community of local artists helping to make the hamlet more attractive to prospective business owners. Today, there is hardly an empty building anywhere on Main Street in Livingston Manor. And sure, it's tough to tell if the relationship between arts and business is perfectly causal in this case, but the correlation is unmistakable. Now, the Catskill Art Society is in the process of expanding their space on Main Street to offer more arts programming to the community. I joined the board um, in 2013, and even back then, there were discussions about what should we do with the second floor? Should we make it apartments and do artist residencies? Should we make it something that would generate income for CAS? You know, there were tons of different ideas um, as to what we should do that with that space, but ultimately, what we really wanted to do was expand the building so that we could expand our programming because we've always had things like music or um, small theater productions, uh, poetry readings, you know, and things of that sort. But sometimes a gallery isn't the best venue for things like music um, because it's very echoey. It doesn't have, you know, uh, the sound system that you might need for certain types of performance. You know, so the idea was to grow the space and make it more of an anchor for our Main Street because um, we didn't want to just do it for cast, but we wanted to do it for the community. And over time, as we sort of honed in on exactly what we wanted to do, um, with the space, which was to expand gallery space as well as create uh, multi-use performance space. 
we realized how, what an asset to the community that would be to be able to have concerts and film screenings and all kinds of things that we were doing at CAST, but on a much larger scale. Could you dive a little bit into the history of the Catskill Art Society? Well, the organization is actually 50 years old. It started out in Hurleyville um, at the, the Sullivan County Museum. And it was, um, from what I gather, it was a group of artists who were either living up here or living up here part-time. And, you know, if you know artists, they like to show their work. And so it was a group of people who just got together. You know, I've heard stories of they would do shows on people's porches or in people's homes. And so it really had this uh, grassroots beginning of just artists getting together the way artists do um, and just getting their work out in the world, at least amongst each other, and then eventually out to the community at large. And um, I think in 2007, the organization bought the building on Main Street in Livingston Manor. I also asked Robin about the other space that the Catskill Art Society has under their purview, the Laundry King. So the Laundry King is just down the street, on the opposite side of the street. And it was originally set up by some cast supporters as they wanted to make a not-for-profit community space. So a space that anybody could use, that if you were an artist, you could approach the committee and say, I want to do an arts exhibition. Or if you were a musician, you could approach the committee and say, "Um, I want to do a show or a couple of shows. So that group of people realized that running a not-for-profit space was a lot more than they had entailed. And since CAS already was doing that kind of programming, we sort of joined together and created um, an annex, basically, for CAS Arts Center. So it's been really great because sometimes we do have overflow at the main building where we needed extra space or just a stage or a projector with a film screen. And so it's been uh, a wonderful addition just so we could expand the programming without having to do the renovation project. And even though it's a really lovely space, it's, it's kind of small. So um, what's nice about this renovation project is that we'll be able to have a, a 99 seat theater upstairs, which is really exciting. One of the quirky silver linings of the pandemic, I think, is that while a lot of people weren't able to go into work for a long time, a lot of people lost their jobs, and a lot of people were forced to stay at home for quite a while, it created interesting opportunities for people to create art with this either additional free time or just additional time at home. Did the Catskill Art Society get a lot of contact from artists in the community saying, hey, during this uh, odd moment in history here, I've been creating all this and I really want to show my art. Yeah, you know, well, we did a a project last year um, called Art Under Quarantine, which is still on our website, which is catskillartsociety.org, that Elizabeth Ennis helped put together. And 
I mean, there were some artists that submitted, I think, 20 pieces or something, you know, and all the artists that I've talked to, it's kind of what kept them busy, especially when it was cold and you didn't want to go outside. And especially during that part of the pandemic where we were really locked down, you know, before vaccines and before there was a lot of information about COVID, most of us were kind of just stuck at home. And I I think even for me as a visual artist, in a way, it's been kind of a dream come true, you know, to have time just to, to, to put into your work. Um, And I think in general, COVID has been strangely good for our local economy, as well as for our art scene. Tons of new businesses have sprung up. There's a whole new group of like 30 somethings here that I've never even met because they all came when I was at home with my husband and my eight-year-old, you know? So um, it's kind of been a weird, exciting time in general, I think for all the small towns in this area, it feels like we've come into something that we never expected. Has the way that CAS has shared art and and displayed art and and uh, engaged our community with art and artists changed during the pandemic as well yeah i mean logistically um we've we had to i mean for a while we you know we were shuffling just what are we going to do with these artists that we promised exhibitions to and then we can we couldn't even open the gallery for a while i mean there was a time when we couldn't even open the doors and of course that's when we did the art under quarantine and same with our cast kids program we did um, videos in lieu of classes um i even did an outdoor project on the fence um, that's on pearl street where it intersects with main street we really tried to be creative about showing art because we just didn't have any other way. Um, I think everything right now is so crazy that we have to be creative and because we're under construction too, and we're just in a smaller space at the Laundry King, you know, every year we do a members show and usually it's one of the most popular shows of the year. And we have a huge opening and people come from all over and it's this really fun festive time for all the artists in the community to get together you know we we had to really tone it down this year and we just did um a square foot show where we had artists submit pieces that were no larger than 12 inches by 12 inches and you know and it it was hard not to bust out the wine and you know hang out with everybody it was kind of like it's kind of sad, you know, we, we miss everybody. I mean, I miss everybody. In that. And, um, but we're trying our best to keep the arts happening. Um, last winter, we had an artist in residence at the Laundry King, which was Lori Nelson. And she was just kind of there making work and having people come in and say hi and checking out what she was doing. And this year we have two artists in residence, um, Annie Rave and Derek Melander. So, that's another way we've changed our programming to sort of fit with what we're allowed to do. And when is the projected date for the main CAS building to reopen with the completed renovations on the second floor? Well, so far we're on schedule and the main 
part of the construction is supposed to be done end of June, beginning of July. But then, of course, you know, it's not really done because then we have, you know, sound systems to install and permits and, you know, all those things that you have to do to make a space open for the public. So our target was Labor Day weekend of this year. I hope we can keep that date. But in any event, it should be the the fall of this year at some point. Are there any particular shows or uses of that upstairs space that you guys have planned for when it first opens for people to experience that space in? Yes, we have a James Terrell installation coming, which is so exciting um, to have this amazing artist's piece on our main street in Livingston Manor. It's kind of, it's one of our patrons described it as like having the Rolling Stones come, you know, I mean, it's like, it's a really, really big deal. So uh, we're going to have that at CAST for a while. Um, So that will be upstairs in our new gallery. I just can't wait to see the new space. It's going to be really beautiful. It's going to offer so much more, not just to Livingston Manor, but to the community at large. And uh, the architectural drawings and the things that we've seen are only just, you know, the idea, I think actually being in the space is just going to be so amazing. And I, I can't wait. Thank you so much to Robin Almquist and Arielle Schonberg for taking the time to chat this week. And as always, thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for upcoming exhibitions at DVAA this winter. There is one opening on February 12th, and you can learn more about it and DVAA's other opportunities for our community to engage with art and artists at DelawareValleyArtsAlliance.org. You can also see what CAS has in the works at CatskillArtSociety.org events. And don't forget to keep an eye out for the big opening of the newly renovated second floor of the Catskill Art Society, hopefully coming this fall. You've been listening to Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. I'm Leif Johansson. Stay warm, stay safe, and have a great week.